Hello and welcome to Chick I'm Mackenzie Chapman. And I'm Bridget Hovell. Um, we took a hiatus this summer, but we are back today. In our time off, we have been giving a lot of thought to the types of films and filmmakers that we discuss on this podcast. Simply put, the films we have chosen to watch and discuss have been too white. We have focused on mostly white directors, mostly white casts, and mostly white production teams. Film is a hundred-year-old industry that is still overwhelmingly white due to entrenched white supremacy in the types of stories deemed worthy or important. In spite of this racist system, black and indigenous filmmakers, actors, and craftspeople have always been working in film and producing noteworthy dramas, hilarious comedies, and beautiful romances. We understand that diverse representation in media, such as film, means more than just a singular black superhero appearing in a Marvel movie. Uh, We really do want to feature more films by black filmmakers and writers, more films that address white supremacy and white violence, and other films by non-white people from every genre. And we are working to incorporate those films on a regular basis in our schedule. As white people, we usually react to flashpoints and then go back to our lives after donating and posting on social media, but we want to avoid this type of inaction. We are committed to making this an ongoing learning endeavor. The stories we give our attention shape our worldview, and too often we've failed in broadening our scope. Um, We welcome all feedback. We want to talk and we value our audience, so please feel free to DM us or email us. Yeah, and it's it's been a while. We're <laughs> feeling a little rusty, uh, but we wanted to we wanted to say that, and of course, we really do mean um, that we are here and open for this ongoing discussion and discovery of many new great films. Um, so, without further ado, Mackenzie, what have you been into these past three months? We have uh, been <laughs> off air, I guess. Yeah. Wow. Um, I mean, so much, right? Like binging a lot of television because my brain has been mush <laughs> this summer. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, I uh, have been very tuned into all of the uh, collapse of the Bon Appetit test kitchen. Um, and so I guess I have been into Tammy, etc. on Twitter Tammy mm-hmm. Teclamarium is a writer who sort of like was the catalyst for all of for well, I guess the backstory is um the editor in chief put like was exposed for doing a lot of racist stuff at Bonamite and just mm-hmm. in his personal life and he had this like picture tweeted about him or tweeted of him from a few years ago, I think, and then it was revealed that no person of color on the Bon Appetit staff was being paid for their video appearances, and oh my gosh. his uh, assistant was only being paid like thirty five, yeah, thirty five thousand a year or something like that, which is insane in New York, and like Solo was only being paid fifty k. Which is insane to me, too, because she was obviously the smartest person in that kitchen, (laughs) Um, for sure. And, yeah, 
Uh, so, I mean, I was very, I've talked about Bon Appetit Test Kitchen on the podcast as something I was into before. Um, especially in quarantine, I got really into it. And then uh, all of this came to light. And the, mm-hmm. obviously, I unsubscribed and I stopped watching. And they haven't been posting. But this past week, too, um, like, mm-hmm. uh, a bunch of people quit. So it's just very interesting. And I feel like Tammy on Twitter is doing, like, a really great job at reporting on it it's very interesting to watch she's doing so much good work so i love following her on twitter um and so that her handle again is tammy t-a-m-m-i-e etc etc on twitter um but i also started watching drag race for the first time um and that can mean many things because there are so many seasons of it and so many iterations um but i started with I think it was 12 was the latest season. Um, So I started with that and then I watched uh, All Stars and fell in love with Shea Coulee and Jujubee. I'm obsessed with them now. And uh, I'm now like watching Canada. (laughs) So Canadians have drag race? Their own? (laughs) Yes. It's their first season. Oh, okay. Yes. So now I'm onto that. But honestly, like after Shea Coulee and Jujubee in All Stars 5, I feel just like disappointed by everything. But that's okay. Yeah. I hope Jujubee comes back for like more seasons. Um, But it's just a lot of fun to watch. I mean, it's like, it's like high art to see like all of the looks they put together. Mm -hmm. So it's been pretty inspiring to see in terms of like fashion um and it's really funny and i think that i've tried to watch like some older seasons and they were kind of like mean but i feel like in more recent seasons they're there's they're all just pretty nice to each other which is nice i mean they're they do have this like uh it's called like reading where you like Oh God, I'm going to sound so stupid, <laughs> but where you like uh, drag the other person or you're like, you like throw shade, uh-huh. you know, mm-hmm. um, but it's all in good fun. And I oh got, I'm talking for so long. Should I keep going? Keep going. Keep going. Okay. Catch us up. Um, but I also read Their Eyes Were Watching God as part of Kara Brown's book club. Um, and... There uh, is a very specific quote from it that is sort of like been saving my life (laughs) for the past like month or whatever. I've written it down in like five different places and like posted it on sticky notes all over my room. Yes, I will share the quote. I have it here on my desk. So uh, the quote is, it doesn't need context either, but the quote is, There is a basin in the mind where words float around on thought and thought on sound and sight. Then there is a depth of thought untouched by words and deeper still, a gulf of formless feelings untouched by thought. And I just feel like it's such a calm, like for me, it's like paint such a Mm. nice, like calm picture of the mind. Mm. It's uh, and it's very Very grounding. It feels like it's a place. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like it's a place that you can like go to and it's just like calm. And uh, which has been like very important. That place in my mind is like that scene from SpongeBob where the jellyfish are dancing. (laughs) (laughs) I've also binge watched 
Veronica Mars, The Good Place, and what's another else? Kristen Bell thing? Uh, oh, oh, New Girl, okay. New Girl. I thought the theme. I thought the what? theme was Kristen Bell. No, it was. So it the theme is. I started with New Girl, which Schmidt is an actor. I don't know. I forget his name. And then I went to Veronica Mars, and he's also in that. Oh. And then I went to The Good Place with Kristen Bell. So it was like a six degree oh, separation. okay. Like, Just hopscotching around. Yeah. <laughs> it was nice because, like, once I finished one season, I would be like, oh, I miss those characters. But then I would feel You're like... seeing them again. Close oh. to them again. Yeah. <laughs> so those are all good mm-hmm. shows, and I recommend them all. And I feel like I don't need to even get into them more, further than I that. I have to watch Veronica <laughs> Mars. Uh, I don't know what I'm... It's very trashy. It's like a combination of Nancy Drew, the OC, and Buffy. Oh. Just okay, in terms of like, up. I feel like Veronica and Buffy are pretty similar. But. Mm-hmm. They're just hard-headed blondes <laughs> kicking butt. Um, I feel like I have uh, watched a lot of TV as well the past few months. Um, I watched... Disclosure on Netflix, which is a documentary about um, trans people in film. Um, I was really surprised by how much I liked it. I was kind of worried that since it was a Netflix documentary, that it might be kind of like defanged or sanitized or not as critical. Um, Kind of the moment when I knew it was a good documentary and and critical in the right ways um, was when it examined uh, Ryan Murphy's inclusion or use of trans characters in his TV shows, which he has not always done in a very sensitive or informed way. And since Ryan Murphy has like a multi-million dollar deal with Netflix, I was like, this is a good sign, you know, if they're mm-hmm. willing to criticize. Um, and I'm sure it was an, a, like a documentary that was just picked up by Netflix, but I highly recommend it. Taught me a lot of, um, taught me a lot of things about, uh, trans people and their representation in media uh Mm -hmm. really really interesting and had a good um array of diverse voices represented um i read this delightful book called uh akata witch by nedi akorafor um it's been kind of reductively called nigerian harry potter uh which i think is like pretty stupid uh and hopefully all books about magical children won't be compared to harry potter uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> in the future, but they are now, especially because this is like it's a it's a book that takes place in um, Nigeria, and you know the characters are African American or African, and their use of magic and magical belief system is so different than kind of like a European Harry Potter wand, uh, you know, thought set. Uh, you know, and it kind of is untainted in some ways by like the J.R. Tolkien canon of what mm. fantasy is. You know, there's mm. no elves or what have you. Um, really, really good. Really nice to like step into kind of a young adult fantasy book for a little bit. And I'm really looking forward to reading the sequel, Akata Warrior. Um, so really enjoyed that. Uh, we were just talking about this before we went on air, but we've both been watching Baited with uh, Ziwe Fumido. So funny. It's on Thursday nights, I think, 8 o'clock ooh, Eastern. I'm time. not sure. I always watch it, like, after mm-hmm. the fact. <laughs> I sometimes catch it live, and I'm like, ooh, and I'm trying to react and stuff. <laughs> but it's this comedian, Z-Way, who uh, you can find on Instagram, at Z-Way, F, um, Z-I-W-E-F. 
uh, she is hilarious and she kind of, she has kind of LA based comedians and writers with the occasional, uh, actor or other person known in media, like Caroline Calloway. She has them on her Instagram show and she kind of goes through this survey of questions where I think the point is to bait them into saying something oblivious or ignorant or stupid, but it's done in really good faith in some ways. Um, and I was saying to Ken's that the, the thing that's interesting to watch about it, especially as a white person, is you kind of realize how oblivious white people are, even when they have the best intentions. Some people come to the show overly prepared with like backup or like notes on how they're going to answer Z-Way's questions, which range from a quiz on civil rights leaders to how many black friends you have. And there's... Uh, there's kind of like no good way to prepare uh, for the show in that sense. Uh, so it's adds this really like electric feeling to watching it live. Uh, yeah, I've just really enjoyed it. And I support uh, Z-Way taking over Ellen DeGeneres' uh, show. <laughs> yeah. She is the only person who should do that. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. <laughs> so funny. Um, and I have been, uh, why working at from home, getting really into a couple of albums, the one that I particularly want to plug is What's Your Pleasure by Jessie Ware. Have you listened to any of this? No. Okay. It's so good. It's her disco album, basically. Oh, wait. And every did you song send this is, to me, maybe? Maybe. Maybe I did listen. Every song is super sexy, super fun, just like an earworm immediately that you can get into. Uh, I think we're all caught up. I'm sure we have... A lot of other things we've been reading and watching these past few months, but we've totally forgot to mention today's episode is on Fruitvale Station and If Beale Street Could Talk. So let's jump in. Fruitvale Station is based on the 2009 shooting of Oscar Grant, a 22-year-old black man. Oscar was shot and killed by a police officer named Johan Meserly at a train station in Oakland, California in the early hours of New Year's Day. The film begins with real footage of the police officer killing Oscar and then reconstructs the last day of Oscar's life as he spends time with spends time with his family and celebrates the holiday. Um, and this was the debut of Ryan Coogler, the director who went on to do Black Panther and also Creed. Um, has he done anything else other than Black Panther and Creed? I mean, he's so young. That's like, yeah, that, I know. <laughs> I don't know, actually. Um, I feel like he has stuff in the works. Like big stuff in the works, but yeah. I don't, I can't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But he was the same age of, um, as Oscar Grant and lived in the same area. Um, so this is obviously a very personal story to him as well. Mm-hmm. As we mentioned at the beginning, it's based on true events of Oscar Grant, who was killed by police officer Meserly in 2009. Um, and the movie begins with the actual footage of the shooting. Uh, and just as a note, the police officer who killed Oscar uh, only was in jail for 11 months. He had a two-year sentence and he served 11 months of it. Um, crazy. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like, it's it's definitely like very di- it's very difficult to watch. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. The format kind of um, creates this sense of tension throughout the film because you start with this real-life footage of Oscar's death Um, And then you're kind of working your way to that moment in time um, over the course of one day. And it really struck me as interesting to see this footage at the beginning because we have recently been seeing 
so many videos that are similar to the slaying of Oscar Grant, um, you know, George Floyd most recently and, um, you know, countless other black people who have appeared in videos this way and have had their deaths publicized this way. Um, and I also thought of Spike Lee's the black Klansman, which ends with uh, footage of, uh, that woman, Heather who died, uh, at the Charlottesville mm-hmm. rally. Um, so it's really, it's an interesting use to incorporate like amateur footage of these horrific real life killings. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it makes this like compressured pressurized sense that we're like everything is heightened that even the most mundane things that happen in this movie because they're you know the last day of this man's life right um uh this is kugler talking about uh activism and the film. He says, I know the activism it sparked, uh, became the template of what was going to come over the, Oh, I'm sorry. This is that not Kugler. This is from Jamila King in mother Jones who writes, I know that the activism it sparked became the template of what was to come over the following decade. People uploaded the video of the shooting to social media or gave it to local news. BART, B-A-R-T, which is the public transportation um, used in the Bay Area. Spokespeople worried aloud about public sentiment ruining its investigation, while witness videos provided proved too mu- much too compelling to brush the horrific incident under the rug. You could not only see what happened, but hear the gunshot echo through the station, the chaotic yelling and chatter that preceded it, um, which is exactly what you see at the beginning of this film. So Kugler uh, worked with Oscar's family, his lawyers, and recreated the events of the last day of his life. Um, he said that he thought there was a lot of inherent irony. This is a quote in the fact that it happened on new year's day, a day or new year's Eve, uh, a day when people are thinking about the future, their optimistic best version of themselves looking forward to a clean slate. I always knew I wanted to tell it in that format, spend time, let things breathe, let the audience spend time with the character. Um, and we'll get to this a bit more later, but it, is a fictional retelling of Oscar's last day, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, but a lot of the negative reviews of this movie seem annoyed at the fact that this is like not a documentary, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And they are very, I don't know. They just are, they don't want to give any room for, uh, Oscar to be both like, like a good person and also have like mistakes that he made. They're just mm-hmm. like, Oh, he, they want to like paint him as one in with one like brush or whatever. I don't know. And I think that's what the movie does so well is that they it acknowledges that like, yes, he is a human being <laughs> yeah. who has regrets. <laughs> It's the frustrating thing about these reviews. Uh, We've read two uh, by white critics. One is in Forbes, which I'm like, why does Forbes even have a film critic? His name is Kyle Smith. Um, It's a terrible, terrible review. I'm just going to read a part of it, but it's really gross. Um, Hoping to stir the public, though, the film dances around the facts. It first problem is how to handle its 22-year-old subject, played by Michael B. Jordan, who was a small-time criminal who cheated on his girlfriend and had been fired from a job at a grocery store. All of these flaws are depicted in the film, but nevertheless, Fruitvale Station, a debut effort from Ryan Coogler, tries to fit a halo on its subject, seemingly to play up the audience's sympathies. I don't think that's what it's doing at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wanted to contrast this terrible review with something Wesley Morris wrote on Fruitvale and Grantland. He says, um, 
Oscar Grant is what's missing from movies about young black men. The movie strives to restore to Grant the individuality that the symbolism of tragedy took away. The film is not like viewing him with rose tinted lenses. It's simply mm-hmm. trying to restore his humanity, you know? Mm-hmm. And when these two white critics that we read, both of them, another one, the guardian two also says Oscar was no angel. It's like the film. When you say that you're kind of like immediately putting forth that the full film is saying he was an angel when it's not, you know, right. It's yeah. He was a, a regular person. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And like, and also, like, a kid. Like, 22 is so young, you know? I mean, like, you're you're an adult, yes, but, like, you're just, you are so young. Like, I, the mm-hmm. there's a scene where he picks up his daughter from daycare preschool, and they race back to the car, and it's sort of, like, in slow motion, and he has, like such joy in his face oh, and yeah. it just makes me feel like like I, it's just like he is also like so like so young like his daughter almost like just like youth mm. youthful and like with so much like mm-hmm. i don't know and even the mistakes he's making are mistakes at the beginning of should what should be a, the beginning of a person's life you know that yeah. um uh and yeah, it's just like I hope when you read these reviews that are immediately taking umbrage, like kind of creating like a strawman argument about this film from the get go, like, well, there's no way Kugler knew that these interactions happened or, you know, there's a scene where um, Oscar comforts like a dying dog that was hit by a car, you know, and they're like, well, this didn't happen. It's like, no shit. Uh, are you taking the same sort of energy to like biopics about like white historical figures, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Probably not. Like, I think we can all understand this is a work of, it's a fictionalized account, um, mm-hmm. you know, and that you're condensing his life down to one day. And mm-hmm. by virtue of that format, you're going to have to include stuff that's going to speak to Oscar's character. You know, like I don't think an ordinary day in my life would in- include all of the parts that make me a whole person, you know? Right. It's just very annoying. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Kugler also said on representations of black men in film, media representations of young African-American males are often one-sided and very narrow to the point that they are dehumanizing to point to the point that their lives don't have the same value that other lives have to the point that people are okay with them dying young. Um, and I, we, I really recommend that everyone read the Wesley Morris review too in Grantland Cause it's like one of the only good reviews I've read of the movie and not that it, it's good and that it like, you like unilaterally praises the movie. It's good. And that Wesley Morris has a lot of like interesting ideas about the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, what a great cast as well for, especially for a debut movie. Yeah, for sure. I feel like this was sort of Michael B. Jordan and Ryan Coogler's like, I mean, now they're like, superstars you know like yeah mm-hmm. or superheroes no, Ooh. <laughs> oh true I, I forgot michael b jordan is killmonger and yeah Black i guess Panther. not a hero uh, anti-hero yeah but uh and octavia spencer is in this movie as oscar's mom she's so good in it i heard that she also mm-hmm. didn't take uh, a salary for the film so that wow. it could get made cheaply uh i think her performance like really brings home the tears at the end of the film. Oh yeah. Um, you know, the scenes of her in the hospital just crushed me, crushed me. It's like, I don't know if I like would recommend this movie to people that, cause I know 
on social media like there are like and i guess eva duvernay talks about this in 13th Mm -hmm. too like about whether these like graphic depictions should be shared on social media so virally or if they're like triggering to Mm -hmm. um like black people don't want to see violence acted on them on social media all day it's like it's it's like it's traumatizing like Mm re-traumatizing and i would so like i don't know if i can like recommend this movie for that reason like i feel like Mm -hmm. probably like all white people should watch it because it does do such a good job of humanizing Mm -hmm. oscar grant and like Mm -hmm. and uh, it's and it's a good really good movie but it's also like i was saying like just super hard to watch Mm -hmm. so yeah i don't know yeah i agreed because it is almost the realism of this film it's you know very sparse in its um kind of like camera work uh it feels like very you're very close to the characters too um that make it like a a difficult grueling kind of watch especially when you immediately know how it's going to end um Another cast member I wanted to talk about briefly was Chad Michael Murray appears as the <laughs> cop that kills Oscar, um, which threw me at first because I was like, this is kind of distracting that a former teen heartthrob is in the end of this movie uh, for one scene. But then I was thinking about it some more and kind of thinking that his casting kind of speaks to this cultural idea we have about cops too. You know, that Mm -hmm. they're, um, you know, these, the good old boys that they're, I don't think this, but you know, like (laughs) handsome and, uh, you know, like the golden boy, I don't know. Uh, and to see him, you know, he makes such a, a weird, like, it's just weird to see him suddenly at, at the end of this film. Um, and you know, a lot of the stupid IMDB reviews I read of this movie were like the cops aren't humanized at all which i don't think is true first of all i feel like Mm. i feel like at the end (laughs) the one cop is like oh i fucked up and is like holding oscar's hand or whatever so like Mm -hmm. for i mean as much as they could be i feel like Mm -hmm. ryan coogler did like just fine with the depiction of them but also like cops suck (laughs) yeah and (laughs) It's also like, you, I thought it was kind of incredible that they clearly had the full cooperation of Bart. Yeah. Is it B-A-R-T or Bart? If you I think in it's the Bart. Area, I think it's okay, Bart. Okay, just let me know. I'd be so embarrassed if we were like, Bart. And well, people, people say, oh, write in. Tell us if we're wrong, please. Yeah. About anything. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> including this. Uh, not just this. Um, but they he shot at the actual station where Oscar was killed. Apparently, you know, you can still right. see the bullet hole in the ground. Um and so he had the cooperation of he he ooh, I'm trying to feel to find this quote from him. He said that oh we shot at the sorry this is Ryan Coogler he said that we shot at the Bart station for three nights after the station was closed and every night we had to take a moment of silence before we started those four hours of work. Everybody was there with us: Bart employees, safety monitors, train drivers, all the cast members and crew. Some of us would pray; others would just keep to themselves. The energy of it hit everybody. Um, and that's interesting too to make a movie so quickly after um, an event, you know, in 
some ways this is like a therapeutic exercise you would think for the community involved. Um, you know, uh, that actual BART employees were present on set and that it was filmed, you know, only four years later, uh, is there's, it's hard to think of many other films that are like this in that way, yeah. you know, like a such it an immediate is, yeah. reaction. It is very um, unique, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like they, it's the full day leading up to the death and the killing, but, um, I would say like the last, like almost 30 minutes is, mm-hmm. is like the event. So it's like mm-hmm. a long time is spent on the lead up to the confrontation with the police, the like him getting shot, Oscar getting shot, mm-hmm. uh, the like the ambulance coming, the, his girlfriend like freaking out and like being in the hospital with the with his entire family, mm-hmm. all of that. So it it really like takes its time through that, which is again why I, why I said like. I and I appreciated that, but it is one of the things that makes it really hard to watch. So that's yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and it ends with footage of people um, congregating in honor of Oscar. Real footage of people, including yeah. his daughter, yeah. um, which again kind of speaks to like the therapeutic aspect of this filmmaking in particular um, and the type of works that uh, Ryan Coogler is interested in doing in his community too. We have one one-star review. We do not uh, endorse this one-star review. Uh, I can read it. Here is little, if any, regard for the facts of the case because the director is bent on giving his own point of view in spite of the facts. The police are depicted as totally evil and lacking any humanity. Perhaps that is the case. This review went on, but I thought that was funny. <laughs> like, for a moment there, they had kind of... T- they were like broken through. Yeah, it was they like had a breakthrough. Accidentally left whatever. Yeah, that Twitter, that Twitter account. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Perhaps uh, that is the case. You know, perhaps yeah, it is. Perhaps that is the case. <laughs> <laughs> perhaps cops are totally evil and lacking in any humanity. Mackenzie, what are your final thoughts and ratings for Bill Station? I forgot that we rated movies. Um. <laughs> well, you know, the rate. It's like whose line is it anyway? The <laughs> point system barely matters. Um, no consistency. I'm going to rate this movie a seven because I think it's really, I, th- I think it's a really good movie and I think it's really important, but, mm-hmm. um, I agree with like some of Wesley Morris's critiques of it, just that some of it, mm-hmm. um, like there's a character that shows up in the train that was in the other, that was in the earlier part of the movie that was just sort of like serendipitously there, like that kind of thing and like um he meant he one another critique was that like uh like so much happens to oscar in this one day that it's hard to sort of like get a moment to just like sit with him and mm-hmm. but i'm not sure i totally agree with that but yeah i would say a seven yeah what do you mm-hmm. think um i agree i think it's a really strong debut from ryan coogler yeah um, and he, you know, has certainly deserved to have his career, you know, like take such huge strides forward, um, mm-hmm. from like a Marvel movie. And also he did Creed. Um, but I, I agree it, it does feel, um, 
it almost feels like there needed to be like a like a third act almost. Mm-hmm. Um, the format is both what makes this movie, I think, like really unique and compelling in that it's a one day countdown basically to Oscar's death. But I felt at the end, um, like I, maybe I wanted to see like a third act with his family or the fallout or the protests even, Mm. um, that propped up around his, his death. Um, so I'm going to give it a a six, but it's Billie Eilish's favorite movie. (laughs) That's an IMDb trivia piece. which is kind of weird. Uh, I don't know. Um, yeah. So let's, uh, talk about our next film. Yeah, so our next movie is If Beale Street Could Talk from 2018. Based on a novel by James Baldwin, If Beale Street Could Talk depicts a love story derailed by racist policing. Fanny and Tish, two childhood sweethearts, are on the precipice of beginning their adult lives together when Fanny is falsely accused of rape. Tish's family coalesce around the young couple and devote all of their resources to proving Fanny's innocence. A pregnant Tish visits Fanny in prison and recounts pivotal moments of the resilient romance. Um, I saw this movie in theaters. Oh, God. And it was so beautiful on the big screen. I didn't. I just watched it on my crappy laptop, and I'm sad about it. But one day I'll you have a TV again. That, yeah, it's such a sumptuous, like, uh, film. Um, it's so the- lush. It's lush. The costumes are amazing. It has a cast of literally beautiful people who are filmed in extreme close-up, <laughs> uh, you know, for much of the movie. Every person uh, is like a model. <laughs> uh, Kiki Lane and Stefan James, who play Fonny and Tish, are beautiful. And their chemistry between them, I think, is like exactly like what it's like to be in love for the first time or your first love you know where they and like well it's like soulmates too they're like so intense with each other it's so nice it reminds me of care for each other it reminds me of pride and prejudice (laughs) i thought you were gonna say twilight and i was like no 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 twilight (laughs) pride and prejudice yeah well it reminds me of pride and prejudice not in their relationship at all in the in the filmmaking crackling the crackling energy between them. Okay. Right? Okay. I, I could see, see that. But like this. in yeah. terms of like the like lighting and the way that the camera like mo- like swirls around them and mm. just like I-, I feel like it's like lush in the same way that Brian Prejudice is lush. Like it's no, just like I, a beautiful like rich movie. Mm-hmm. And I guess also like I guess you could say also in the way like that they're uh, like a lot of chemistry is just by like the way they like look at each other and things like that. Mm-hmm. I know Stephen James's uh, gaze uh, upon Kiki Lane is like so powerful. <laughs> uh, ooh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you know uh, we'll get into like reception of this movie and award season bullshit, but it's crazy that Kiki Lane. Hasn't had her career take off from this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, she was in, she's in The Old Guard, which just came out on Netflix. But I was kind of like, why haven't we seen Kiki Lane everywhere? Mm-hmm. She is so freaking pretty and yeah. <laughs> really good in this movie. Uh, so this movie, directed by Barry Jenkins, who did Moonlight. Um, the format is also... Uh, this is also a very different format for a movie as well. It's not really a linear plot line. It kind of jumps around from um, the pivotal event, which is Lonnie falsely being accused of rape by this woman, Victoria Rogers, to 
uh, Tish's family trying to exonerate him and the beginning of their relationship when things are, you know, going well and um, they're trying to get out there on their own and they are engaged. Um, and it kind of doesn't have a traditional ending either. Uh, it's just kind of like almost vignettes about one central story. Mm. Um, you know, uh, and uh, I was happy that this was a f- movie that had a false rape accusation in it, but that was handled really well. Yeah. Um, you know, where two characters, the mother played by Regina King and Tish's sister, uh, both say at different points, you know, like this woman was raped. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but not by Fani. Right. Um, you know, and it's false rape accusations are rare, but this one was handled within the context that black men are often demonized by non-black women. Right. Um, well, and also it was, mm-hmm. uh, like a vendetta prompted that by a racist it, cop. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Prompted by a racist Who, cop. Ed Screen is the racist cop in this movie. Who's that? Who, he was in Game of Thrones for a little bit. And oh, as who? Um, all that. I don't know. Uh, probably oh, 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, He's one of Daenerys' boy toys, but he was recast pretty suddenly. So oh. he, like, changes in appearance very abruptly. Oh. Uh, <laughs> it's one of the only times they did that in the whole TV show. Uh, but one other thing I know about Ed Screen is that he was cast as a character in some movie. I forget what movie. That was it revealed to him that it was supposed to be, like, an Asian person, and he dropped out of the film. And oh. it's, like, the only example I can think of someone doing that. You yeah. know, like, someone being told, like, oh, no, this is, you actually are, like, whitewashing this role. And he was like, okay. Yeah, I quit. Yeah, uh, wow, good job. That's yeah. random trivia uh, for this man. Ran- very random. I don't know why I know that about him. It's <laughs> because his name is kind of weird. Ed Screen. Yeah. Um, I also when I saw this movie, I saw it with my friend Linnea, and for some reason I hadn't read the book. I thought that it had a happy ending. I like said that out loud to Linnea. I said, "Don't this movie has a happy ending?" And then as the movie as it was, as it was apparent, the movie was wrapping up. I was like, "Oh." Oh, oh, it <laughs> like oh, no. it kind of doesn't have I mean it has a happy ending in that their love perseveres. Yeah. You know. But Fani, you know, serves a sentence in prison for a crime he does not commit. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely I feel like I feel like overall the movie is like full of mm. joy, I guess you could say. I mm-hmm. I do think like it's a like overall sort of like uh, kind of hopeful movie, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's it's just very like loving, but mm-hmm. it is like so shitty that he goes to jail and that mm-hmm. the cops are racist and that this was book was written in 1974, I think. Yeah, and mm-hmm. this is still happening. So mm-hmm. I guess it's yeah, it's like. Their, mm-hmm. like, love story is very, like, hopeful and inspiring, I guess. But it's, like, also just very sad that... And and I guess mm-hmm. some people did, like, critique this movie for uh, not being as angry as the book was. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the ways that... And I haven't read the book, so I'm not sure how to speak to that. But I think one of the ways that Barry Jenkins did, like try and add some like 
I guess anger to it was yeah. to use like real pictures of police brutality mm-hmm. and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I, in the, we listened to on the director's cut, uh, Paul Tam, is it, was it Paul Thomas Anderson? Yeah. Interviewing Barry Jenkins. And Barry Jenkins said, like, uh, Tish is the one who's narrating the film and she narrates these pictures that are used mm-hmm. throughout the movie. And when she's talking, like, over the pictures, she has, like, a lot more authority in her voice. Like, mm-hmm. she sounds like someone who's, like, grown a lot. And mm-hmm. I guess it's almost more, like, confident. And with... Mm. And I think that... Yeah, I don't know. Because and, and, as Tish, when she's, like, living her life throughout the movie, she's very, like, almost shy. I think in one moment, mm-hmm. she stands up to... um Fani's mom and in that moment she's like it's awesome to see her like stand up for herself but I think throughout the movie she is like pretty like demure I guess mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I don't think that's yeah. a bad thing I think it's just like her personality <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah I know she's uh, I loved her performance in this and I agree that she does in that moment with the montage of uh, real footage um, take on a kind of different sounding voice uh, Doreen St. Felix in the New Yorker wrote a really good review of this film, um, and kind of brought up the question that Mackenzie also just referenced, you know, like she actually asks in her review, is this movie too beautiful? Mm-hmm. Um, and says that Jenkins takes his protagonist out of the arena of realism and lifts them into an aria of beatific sadness. Um, and she kind of points out, you know, the cine- the score and cinematography kind of have like, not like rose tinted, but yeah maybe they're not like angry enough like you said um Mm -hmm. and she also references parts of the novel by james baldwin where it's also in tish's voice but you know tish is recounting their first time having sex and she's saying you know it hurt you know it hurt really badly Mm -hmm. and in the movie it's just like this beautiful cinematic moment where they have sex for the first time and you know she sighs yeah and i i so i i totally get that criticism um that it is uh uh, she writes, Tish and Fani are gorgeous in an abstracted mythological sense, as if he were the first man and she were the first woman on earth. Um, so I could see the reading being that they're like almost like not like real people in that sense too. Mm-hmm. And another part that didn't make it into the movie is that Fani's father kills himself um, when it's discovered that he was kind of uh, cheating around at work to make money to for Fani's defense case. Um, but the cinematography is so beautiful and yeah. I love how active and investigative the camera is. And the score is by Nicholas Bertel, who also did the moonlight score and he does the succession, uh, <laughs> music. So he's so good. <laughs> uh, the score is beautiful though. Yes. Too. The score is like, I was like, I want to write a college essay while listening to this. Uh, yeah. It was very, I beautiful. love a good, good score um another thing it has in common with pride and prejudice that i would write a college Mm. essay to the music in it Mm -hmm. um and there's a cool scene involving a sculpture and just looking at a sculpture for a long time (laughs) so Mm -hmm. um to kind of counter uh doreen's uh review of this movie this isn't like in direct conversation or juxtaposition but Hannah um, Georgies in The Atlantic writes about 
if Beale Street could talk and the urgency of black love. And she says that depictions of black love are not impossible to find, but the Jenkins adaptation translates Baldwin's text with a tenderness often shunned by major studio films. The movie doesn't revel in the spectacle of its character's pain and indeed scrubs some of Baldwin's grit from its visuals. Where other stories might have pitted the fantasy of Trish and Fonny's love, Beale Street paints a luminous portrait of a delicate balance. Their love undergoes duress, but it is a story above all of joy, which we kind of said earlier too. Um, and it's interesting that she also points out in this that uh, it's a tenderness often shunned by major studio films. But this movie, after Barry Jenkins won Best Picture for Moonlight, really didn't pick up any major accolades at the Oscars other than Regina King winning for Best Supporting Actress. And it's definitely because the Academy loves movies about slavery and black biopics. And that's it. Yeah. Um. It's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, But I did. So we read that article about James Baldwin and about, um, I guess, sort of going off of what Hannah Mm -hmm. said about like black love and stuff about how he. Is it the part she writes? Is it the part she writes about how, um, as in Moonlight, the love that Beale Street characters have for one another is impossible to extricate from the larger societal forces acting upon them? No, it was about just in general about like how James Baldwin believed, I guess, that like love could liberating or something i don't know yeah yeah. i don't know that could be totally wrong guys (laughs) um i am not an authority on literally anything but uh i and i think that's like kind like i don't obviously there's probably more behind that statement (laughs) that i just don't know about and i don't think i like agree that like love is like a solution to anything i guess but there was a like there's a scene in the movie where um fanny is reconnecting with an old friend daniel that was in jail for a long time and it uh like the beginning of the scene or like the sequence i guess is like him reconnecting with daniel and inviting daniel back to the apartment and tish is like grabbing beers and making dinner and it's just like this really lovely mo- mm. like time where they can all just like be together and be having fun in an apartment which like all mm. young people should be able to do yeah. and like just just have a good time together but then there's mm. um this long scene where daniel's describing his time in prison and if if this movie i guess could is isn't like as angry as the novel uh, and that could be a critique of it i do think that this scene i guess it's not like anger but it's like like grief being robbed of this kind of yeah. grief or like mm. trauma that daniel like is mm-hmm. sort of expressing to fani and i think it's like really moving that he feels like he's able to express that to mm-hmm. Fani at all mm-hmm. just because I feel like there's like a lot of like toxic masculinity uh, is often like you can't express emotion so I think it was nice that he was able to in that moment but also um he says this thing like 
the white man has got to be a devil because he sure ain't a man. And I think that, like, maybe I should just edit this whole part out. I don't know. But, like... No, go on. But... In terms of, like, thinking about, I guess, like, James Baldwin and love and just the fact that, like, as white people, we, like, lose our... We are, like, not being humane when we like participate Mm. in systemic oppression and like racism and stuff Mm. and like Mm. it's a we're not like a like we're not human like Mm. you know Mm. and i think that like part of dismantling like racist thoughts in our own white minds is like realizing that i guess that like Mm. we can't be fully human if this is if we're not treating other humans <laughs> as humans mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. i don't know i just thought that like maybe it would tie into like how like james Baldwin thinking about love i don't know yeah and that reminds me also of the scene of fawny's white lawyer who they have like a brief scene dedicated to him mm-hmm. who's he's played by Fint widrock um where in tish's narration she's kind of saying you know she didn't like particularly like the lawyer mm-hmm. but he was treated as odd for or kind of ostracized in his white lawyer community for caring about Fonny's case that much. Mm -hmm. And there's like this kind of like scene where he is at a party and he, you can tell he's like troubled and thinking about Fonny perhaps. And the people around him are laughing and like, they seem kind of like, not like demonic, but you know, like kind of like you're saying, you know, like that, you know, they're just not part of this story, this, p- the the larger story of, you know, this, this great love and this great injustice and being, um, like awakened to it basically. Yeah. Yeah. I did, I guess. So another, um, scene that I really liked, or I guess it's a like longer sequence of mm-hmm. like, uh, Tish announcing that she is pregnant and then to her family mm-hmm. and then her family inviting Fonny's family over and Fonny's mm-hmm. family or at least his mother and his sisters are very conservative and I guess um, mm-hmm. really very religious and uh, it's just it's such a good scene because it ha- it's like working on so many levels like I think it's funny but it's also oh, yeah. like like talking it also is like showing this contrast in general gender roles between like what the women are doing and the men are like Mm -hmm. like and the men and the men like talking like just drinking and things like that but also like Mm -hmm. this like contrast between a deeply religious conservative family and a fam like tish's family that's just like supporting her and um and has like a healthy relationship um it's like mm-hmm. i don't know it's just like so smart and i love like uh ernestine is tish's sister um she's played by tiona paris and she's in dear white people in chirac is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. Ch- yeah like chicago I, yeah okay i don't know iraq yeah yeah yes okay <laughs> <laughs> um but she's so good and she has this she seems she's like so like powerful i love ernestine um she has this line which i can imagine being plucked like right from the book but she says like uh 
unbow your head sister and it's like so mm-hmm. beautiful and just like so supportive of tish and i just was like i know very there for it and then she like she when uh fanny's family is just sort of like attacking tish ernestine is like mm-hmm. nope not we're not doing this like i don't i'm not being polite like i'm protecting my sister my family like and like throws them out of the house and just like the she kick as she kicks the family out uh the mom is like and take your stuff and then ernestine just throws out the coats behind them on the ground it's just great it's a great scene and she's kind of like who would ever want to have sex with you to yes (laughs) very funny she's it's a it's a great role yeah um and it's such a believable, beautiful f- family, yeah. too, um, where you feel as you move throughout the film that any one of these characters could kind of have an entire story de- like devoted to them, yeah. like the father's relationship, mm-hmm. or even Ernestine. We know that she works with a lawyer in mm-hmm. some contexts, but we don't like uh, know that much about her right. character, but you can just sense that there could be another story there, mm-hmm. or the Jewish landlord, mm-hmm. where I think the, the vignettes work in that sense that it creates a very established feeling right. world around these two characters yeah. um, with them at the nucleus. I love Regina King and she is so good. And if you haven't watched Watchmen do so. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, Regina King is so good in this role. She, um, sort of does have her own storyline when she goes, she goes to Puerto Rico mm-hmm. to, um, hunt down victoria rogers sort of to try and get her to testify or mm-hmm. like say that Fanny didn't it wasn't actually the person that raped her um but she i think just gives such a powerful performance from mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you could just like see the like pressure on her to make this work and it's just such a complicated mission that she is sent on to mm-hmm. to like she like where she like knows this woman was raped but she also knows that it wasn't funny so it's like she's walking Mm -hmm. this fine line and i think i think she knows that at one point she confronts victoria and victoria sort of just starts like she sort of has like a breakdown and i think i think uh regina king what's regina king's character name sharon oh okay I I feel like I just knew her as like mom, <laughs> but um, I know I was thinking that too. Yeah, mom and dad. Yeah, um, yeah, Sharon. Yeah, she. You can see when Victoria has a breakdown that like. She she, is like holding those two truths that like. That it's like a, a horrible horrible thing happened to Victoria and that. She probably mm-hmm. made a mistake in the way that she approached her asking about Fani mm-hmm. and that Fani would probably like it also was innocent and did not deserve mm-hmm. to be in jail. I mean, no one deserves to be in jail except for like yeah. mass murderers. But anyway, mother. Anyway, mm-hmm. Regina King. Very good. <laughs> Regina King super good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes. One star reviews. Let's do this. So our first one star review, not our, but like we found this, Bridget found it by a, a stupid person on the internet. Um, <laughs> I mean, um, so the first one is on top of these basic flaws, the central characters are boring. They are in love. We get it. Move on. Meanwhile, like, ooh, this person has never been in love. And, and like, meanwhile, I'm sitting over here like, 
what else is there to make any movie yeah, about? Just like give all me movies more should movies. just be romantic stories. Beautiful people falling in love, please. The second yeah, what's so. our review is first of all, this movie was just incredibly pretentious. Like you're watching the story of George Washington or something. This one made me laugh out loud. What? I know, I know, I know. And this is just the beginning of the review. This person goes on but never goes back, never mentions George Washington again. So I don't know why George Washington was the most pretentious thing he could think of. I think we all study George Washington in elementary school. So I don't really know what he's getting at there. Oh, man. Um, what are your final thoughts and rating? Fun- oh. You go first this time. You, be- you beat me to it. Um, I really like this movie a lot. I love Barry Jenkins. I want to watch more Barry Jenkins fo- m- movies. I ship him and Lulu oh Wang God, together. So much. And- uh yeah oh my gosh uh but love this movie um i totally can understand criticism of it for kind of beautifying a very tragic upsetting story uh but it felt um it's just i think really worth watching and i'm gonna give it an eight out of ten what about you kens um I agree with everything you just said, mm-hmm. but I might give it a nine. Oh, wow. Okay. I just, just go, I'm just more optimistic these days. Hello, JK. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. So, obviously, both of these movies were really talking about police brutality against black people, and they're both heavy topics but we thought it was important to talk about um and we encourage everyone to research their like local bail fund or mutual aid organization Mm -hmm. is that right Mm -hmm. organization yeah okay Mm -hmm. and make donations if you are able to um uh thank you for listening we're excited to be back on air uh, it would really help us out if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ChickFlixPod and email us at ChickFlixPodcast at gmail.com. Our next episode will air at a determined time. Um, and we will be talking about the old guard and fast color. ChickFlix is researched Chickflex is researched and written by Bridget Hovell and edited by Mackenzie Chapman. Many thanks to Tim Creek Carlson for our music. Thanks for listening to Chickflex.